The greatest country on earth in shambles. Bill Gates already mapping out the next pandemic. The medical profession by law prevented from telling patients the truth. How do we survive this? Well, we the people stand up and stop taking it. We win at the ballot box. And we do that by getting the truth out into public ears. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your warrior at the gate is Dan Newman. Now this might surprise you, but I don't feel we're getting it out there. Enough, anyway. I don't think enough Americans are getting the facts in their faces. Listen, we can't rely on mainstream media to deliver the message, the true message of conservatism to our fellow Americans. That's got to happen. And if it's going to happen, honestly, it's going to happen by you and me doing it. And that's what we do here every day when we get together at 9 a.m. Central at TNN Live, we're getting little pieces of information, little bits of things that are important. And we don't need to keep those to ourselves. We need to share them. Find a way to share with anybody and everybody that's in your circle that you come in contact with. You owe it to them. They, if they're watching CNN and MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC News, they're not getting it. If they're reading the Washington Post, the New York Times, even the Wall Street Journal, who has sometimes some really good middle-of-the-road stories, principally in their editorials, but if they concentrate on those for their news, they're not getting the news. They're getting a partisan representation of the leftist Democrat Party and what they think should happen for the United States going forward. Hey there. Welcome to Friday. Thanks for sharing your Friday morning with us here at TNN Live. We've got a lot of things to dig into. We have some great information for you, some new things popped up over the night, just like that happens almost every night. And then I've got a word for you, a word for you. Now, what does that mean? I've got something I need to talk to you about. And we're going to get right to all of that. But as we have become prone to do at the top of every show, we're going to do um, a little music. Just relax a little bit with Earth, Wind, and Fire. And we'll be back in about three minutes, and we're going to get cranking. And you better get ready to buckle in. It's a big day.
like Earth, Wind, and Fire and the carryover from the 70s to the 80s. I believe that album came out uh, from which this song was taken in 1979 or 1980, Disco Time. And they put a little shine on disco music and made it mean things when they wrote their lyrics. That's a good song. It just uh, makes you feel good to listen to some of that kind of stuff early in the morning. Well, if you weren't with us at the top of the show, let me tell you. Welcome. Welcome. We're glad you're here with us. Thank you for joining us in this pursuit of all things truthful, all things honest, all things factual. That's what we are sworn that we're going to do. Let me just say this. It's more important than ever that we do get that, that we get the facts, because there's so much quote-unquote information being thrown around Everywhere we look, somebody's got a particular version of something that you heard a little bit differently the day before and last week. And then months, years after things happen, the historians, and I said historians in quotation marks, those so-called experts, they'll go back and rewrite history. And I mean way back. Who will ever forget the 1619 Project? which was a total rewrite of American history that didn't stick. Why didn't it stick? When truthful. And Americans realized it wasn't truthful. How many things do you hear today that as soon as you hear them, the little ding, ding, ding goes off in your head and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not really the way it is. Does that ever happen to you? Well, if it does, I'm glad it does, because what that does, it makes you aware of the fact that pretty much all of the so-called news that we get digested, and there's so much out there that we may hear, but we can't get it digested, just the stuff we digested is full of crap. It's political, partisan perspective, and nothing more than that. Now, it usually has some specks of truth thrown in to kind of give it a a little shade of credibility, honesty, and integrity. But that's an oxymoron when you start talking about integrity. Integrity means you've got all of those kinds of things together. You don't compromise on truth. You don't mess with facts. You don't try to bend them a little bit to fit a narrative that might be the one you want for your life today and maybe always, and you, maybe you're a Jim Jones wannabe, and I'm exaggerating. Jim Jones, he was the one that led those 900 people down to Guyana 
and they all literally drank the Kool-Aid. I don't think you're in that mode. I'm not in that mode, but I questioned some people in our leadership today in the United States of America, and that is a hard thing to say even harder to understand and realize. And that takes us this morning back over to Davos, Switzerland. And we're just going to finish our week and talk a little bit about what's going on. Let me just say this. Davos and all those multimillionaires that are there, very powerful people on the globe, very, very entrenched in some really, really bad stuff that they've tried to make people accept it and believe it and process it and make part of our lives. Those people are going to leave Davos this weekend and they're going to go back to their nations of origin and they're going to spread that venom. They'd been spreading their own all along, but they picked up some new stuff from their fellow sycophants in Davos and they're going to spread it around. These are the ultra-wealthy and the ultra-connected people on the planet. The most there are. So let me just dig into what I was going to talk to you about. The world's top 0.001%, which means it's not very many people, the ultra-wealthy and the modern empires that they control, big tech, big pharma, big agriculture, are not only responsible for destroying the planet and sending most of humanity into financial and health crises, they're intent on attaining ultimate control. If and when that happens, 99% of people on Earth will immediately become disposable. Vandana Shiva, PhD, is the founder of Navdanya Research Foundation for Science, Technology, and Ecology in India. Vandana details how these globalists and some others are exploiting the masses in a book she wrote, Oneness Versus the 1%, Shattering Illusions, seeding freedom. She expands on how the 0.001% intend to divide and rule in order to achieve their exploitive goals. Shiva or Shiva is trained as a physicist and initially planned to study atomic energy. Things always seem to change like that. I went to school, I went to college to study one thing, and I ended up studying and getting involved in something 180 degrees away. Shiva, as she grasped the devastation it had caused worldwide, she gave up her idea of being a nuclear physicist and instead went looking for some knowledge as a whole. She studied on her own, finding quantum theory, which formed the basis of her life's work. The way you design the world, she said, in your mind is the way you relate to it. When you design it as dead matter just to be exploited, you're going to exploit it. When you design it without any understanding of limits, you will violate the planetary limits that are there. When you design it with deep 
recognition of interconnectedness. You're going to nurture those relationships. And this basic recognition is what she drew from in learnings in quantum theory, that non-locality, non-separation, interconnectedness is the nature of reality. Now, she, she breaks it down. She explains, within the paradigm of mechanistic thought, there's a design that didn't just evolve. As such, mechanistic thought is based on the following assumptions. We are separate from nature. Nature is constituted of discrete particles separate from each other, which can only relate through violence, force, and action by contact. But in the quantum world, Shiva explains, there is no separability. My thesis, she said, was on non-locality and quantum theory. Everything is interconnected. There are no fixed essentialized qualities that have been built into the way people are looked at, the way nature is looked at. Potential is the defining quality in the quantum world. And because it's potential, it's also about uncertainty. Shiva states that the mechanistic world is based on a false illusion of determinateness or a quality of being highly predictable. In the quantum world, we know we can't get rid of uncertainty, she says, citing the uncertainty principle created by German physicist Werner Heisenberg back in 1927. Referring to atoms and subatomic particles, the uncertainty principle maintains that the position and velocity of an object can't be measured at the same time. The position and velocity can't be measured at the same time. The very concept of exact position and exact velocity together, in fact, have no meaning in nature. Further, while in the mechanistic world things are either or, you can either be a wave or a particle, she says. In the quantum world, you have potential to be both. And they're complementary. She, she continues, when you realize that the world is one interconnected whole, you also realize that what appears different is actually different expressions of an interconnected reality. Now, that may sound a little bit out there. It may sound like a physicist or a PhD wading down in the mud and getting involved in things that we don't understand. But stay with me. We're today at an unprecedented point in history when the civilizing mission for humanity is technology. Now think about it. How far has technology developed in your life on planet? Mine, I remember back in the late, well, the mid-80s, the mid-80s, the first cell phones came out and Oh my gosh, technology's here. It's going to change the world, and it did. But that was just in the late 80s. Look where we are now, 40 years later. Our grandkids today, our kids, they don't have any clue what life was like before we had cell phones. 
And that's just one example. Technology. Technology is what this world is all about. And guess what? In today's technology, technology is owned 100% by the 1%. It's an illusion, though, that technology companies are creating or inventing these systems that are going to supposedly make our world a better place. They extract, Shiva says. They don't create anything. Software programmers create the platforms that they use. Even Bill Gates didn't really write his basic program. It was two math professors at Dartmouth. She uses Gates Ag1 as an example, which is basically an idea to make one type of agriculture for the entire world, which will be owned and controlled by Bill Gates from the top down. It's headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri today, where Monsanto, acquired by Bayer Corporation in 2018, Bayer is also headquartered in St. Louis. This includes what's called digital farming, in which farmers are surveilled and mined for their agricultural data, which is then repackaged and it's sold back to them. There are parallels throughout society, Shiva explains. We watched what's going on in India, and we pieced it together. So basically, he's financing a lot of data mining from farmers, which will then be packaged as big data and sold back to the farmers. This is exactly what happened in your 2016 elections. Facebook sold data to Cambridge Analytica. So when you think of Quote, what are the kind of leaders that we have getting created? It's very important to remember that in these 25 years of corporate deregulation of commerce, you basically got a lot of money in the hands of just a very few number of people. And they're the ones investing in all these companies. The companies are not independent companies anymore. They're basically billionaire money managed by investment funds like BlackRock and Vanguard. Divide and rule is the plan. And listen, it is the plan. Divide and rule. Protest and unrest are increasing throughout the world, not just here as people get tired of being controlled and downtrodden by these evil one percenters. Demands for change are everywhere. They're surging. So the one percent has rolled out a plan to overcome it. Divide and rule. We can look at a little history. Shiva pointed to the East India Company back in 1857. It set the historic precedence. A revolt occurred that year against oppressive company rule, and the company was taken over by the British state. Up until that point, Hindus and Muslims in India had stood together to defend their land, their livelihoods, and their freedoms. They identified primarily with their occupations and communities. Religion? Well, that was secondary. But when the crown took over, 
Britain, Shiva says they established a policy called divide and rule. It took from about 1857 to about 1920 to essentially divide the population against each other based on their religion. And she explains, that partition is still being played out. It's an incomplete project. So divide and rule becomes a necessity for the 0.001% to continue to hold to power. What are the economic policies being pushed while people are divided? Because that's really the agenda. The refusal to cooperate with unjust law, it was termed a duty of truth by Mohammed Gandhi. Shiva describes apartheid in 1906 when the British attempted to turn Indians in South Africa into second-class citizens. Indians had to register their race, carry ID. Police officers could enter home and demand papers. And people were restricted from local trade and certain professions based on their race. The people said, we would rather die, Shiva says. Others, inspired by Gandhi, And the duty of truth includes Martin Luther King Jr. But when King started to take up economic justice and economic equality issues, guess what? He was assassinated. Because you can talk in very sweet ways about civil liberties, but you don't touch economic justice and the economy. The word economy comes from oikonomia, or the art of living, economy. But when this got changed into the art of money-making, what happened next? Violence. When you turn the art of living into the art of money-making, which Aristotle called crematistics, then you have to practice violence against the earth and violence against others, destroy their livelihoods, destroy their freedoms, take away their resources. And so in comes sowing seeds that we talk about regularly here at TNN Live. This time sowing the seeds of earth democracy. So with the convergence of big tech and artificial intelligence, AI, Shiva fears mechanical work from radio to law will be made redundant and 99% of people will automatically become disposable. The solution lies in activating our sense of oneness or interconnectedness with all life and sowing the seeds of what Shiva calls earth democracy. You can either share this beautiful planet with love and abundance and sustainability or say it's all mine. Every bit of land, every seed, every mind. Because what's being mined is our mind now. And if we don't defend the freedoms of all species and the freedoms of all human beings, we could see within 20 to 30 years a level of disposability built into the structures that humanity will not be able to respond to. Currently, Democracy has shifted to become 
of the corporations, by the corporations, for the corporations. Earth Democracy calls for a restoration of democracy, of the people, by the people, and for the people. Not only for humans, but also for nature. According to the ancients, Vedas, the universe is divine, everything therein, even the smallest grass is an expression of the divine. The universe exists for the well-being of all, but her gifts must be enjoyed without any greed. Taking more than your share is theft, and it'll only backfire. The solution to true sustainability doesn't lie with new technology, but in relying on the natural technology that is our universe. Shiva says, This is the time to make oneness and interconnectedness as one humanity on one planet, the political project of our time. We must remember we are one humanity. We are part of one earth. And whatever we do, we will not let this basic recognition divide us, either from the earth or from each other. Together, we're strong. Now, I don't know how that you just heard sits with you, but it should make you think. It should make you look over your shoulder and look where you are today and put those things together and reconcile and come up with what controls your life. Who controls your life? Who are you getting and taking messaging from? Who are you using to help develop your philosophies and your thoughts about the important things in your life? Because we all do that. We've all got to do that. We don't exist in a vacuum. You've got a spouse. You've got children. You've got grandchildren. We're the ones that have got to make the roadmap and put them on that map. Give them the full knowledge of everything that is necessary for them to succeed walking down that map, whatever lays on it as they go along and whatever is at the end. Nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. Everything you heard me just tell you is for a purpose, it's for a reason, and every one of you listening, you're going to digest it. You probably already have. And five weeks from now, maybe a year from now, something will pop up in circumstance in front of you, and you'll think, wow, and you'll revert back to right here, January 20th, and the story, the opening story that you and I just talked about. This is not the time to be divided. It's not the time for separatism. It's the time for unity. We owe it to ourselves first, our children second, their children third, and then the rest of the people in the globe, they're right after that. We got a lot of debt 
that we've got to start taking care of. How do we do that? Connect yourself. Connect yourself. Find ways to inject yourself into whatever it is that floats your boat. It could be women's groups. It could be a sewing group. It could be bowling. It could be playing pickleball. That's sweeping across America, even Shrevesville. Seriously. Get connected, not just so that you can tell everybody how they're supposed to think, because that'll never work. Iron sharpens iron. I always want to connect with people that are smarter than me, have more knowledge than I do, been down more roads than I have. Why? Because I can sponge from them. If you've been here for several days, you know we're working diligently to set up an interview with Prime Minister Netanyahu when I'm in Israel at the end of next month. Why do I want to bring him on this show? Because everything you just heard me say and what we're talking about right now, this man figured that out years ago. This is his sixth run as Prime Minister of Israel. That's the way their government works. Think about all of the news that you hear 24-7, 365 days a year about Israel. And it depends on who's in the White House. I mean, when Trump was there for four years, we were lockstep in right there with Israel, protecting them. They They were acknowledged for the first time in a while, first time in eight years, that they are the number one ally of the United States of America. Benjamin Netanyahu, he got that a long time ago. He was here in the United States in business on Wall Street for many years in his younger years. He took all of this collectiveness, this you can't live by yourself, you can't live in a bubble, you've got to be connected. He took all that back to Israel. And Israel has become one of the most important nations on the planet for a lot of reasons. But in that morphing into what they are today, guess what he and others like him taught the Israeli people? Stay connected. Don't let division take over because if it does, democracy as you know it, where you are today, is going to die. It takes the whole Not everybody thinking the same way. Not everybody believing the same way. But everybody believing in something and being willing to sit down and discuss all of those important life matters with people just like you. Connectedness doesn't mean everybody's puppeting what everybody else thinks and says. That's not what it's about. It's about nurturing your mind, building your knowledge, and at the same time, you're creating family and community in which we all need to be living today and stop this living on an island crap. You can't do it by yourself, nor can I. 
We need to start this whole process by just recognizing that. And we don't need the 0.001% of the world to tell us what and how to do it. They can't relate with you. You can't relate with them. Live where you live and let them do the same thing. And when they start trying to hammer you on the head and knock you down and keep you subservient to their perspectives, just point your finger at them and say, I'm not you and you're not me. Leave me alone. I know it's a hard lesson, but we got to start somewhere. We do. I mean, the battle's on right now for raising our debt limit. And those on the left are screaming and hollering, we'll default on our obligations. We'll default. We won't be able to pay them. We'll lose our credibility in the financial world around the globe. And guess what? They're exactly right. But the fundamental flaw with that entire conversation is we elected our leaders, our Democratic Republic leaders, We the people did. They're in office. They're supposed to be serving us. Instead, they're serving the 0.001%, and they consider themselves part of that 0.001% of the most endowed, the most politically connected, and the most powerful people on earth. It's not about that. And the sooner we learn that, the better off we'll be sooner than we will if we just continue to grab and claw to stay on top of the heap because we think that's what you've got to do to be successful. That's not the way it has to be at all. There's got to be janitors, and I'm not demeaning janitors. There's got to be seamstresses. There's got to be street sweepers. And there's got to be presidents of the United States. Somewhere either in those areas or somewhere between them is where you and I live. Bloom where you're planted. Make it happen where you're planted. Start at home with the reconstruction plan that is in your heart and you know you need to do it. Start at home. Create an example, a template, a pattern. And don't beat others over the head with that. Trust that they're not stupid, that they can see it happening. They'll understand it as it's happening. And if we're all connected, everything they do is just part of the whole, just like everything you do is just part of the whole. You know what? People in the U.S. used to live that way, used to think that way. We just got away from it. And we got at a place where owing $30 trillion to people that bought our bonds owing them that face amount plus interest every quarter, that just proves the point that I'm trying to make here. Unconnectedness 
has pushed us all the way to $31 trillion. What's it going to take to get back? It's going to take Americans waking up, getting connected, becoming a single-minded democracy. I'm not saying everybody thinks the same way. I'm not. What I'm saying is when we have and think democratic, not party, democratic philosophy, when we make that ours, that thought process, guess what we'll do? We'll honor those with different opinions. And we'll talk to those with different opinions. And we'll do that in love. Sometimes we're not going to see agreement for the way we think about anything. Sometimes we will get agreement. But guess what? The world's going to be a better place when we're connected and when we have those differences. We're not throwing somebody off the roof just for thinking differently. We nod our heads and we say, I get it. Let's just stay close so that we can learn from each other. It may seem like we're a long way from that, but I guess as far as I'm concerned, we're really, really close. It won't take a lot to get there, but it will take you and I to open our eyes and accept that what's going on around us is not working and it's not futile. We can do this. We've just got to get started. Have a seat. Hey, where's the food? What kind of meeting is this? There's no food. We just said that so you would show up. What? No food? There's someone we think you should talk to. Hey, Dan, your co-workers told me you haven't done your taxes. I just want to say, you can call a TurboTax Live CPA for help. We'll help you get your refund and get back to your life. You'd really do that for me? Yeah, Dan. It's literally my job. Thanks, guys. So there's no snacks, nothing. I brought kale. TurboTax Live, now with CPAs on demand. Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. 
Uncertain about what you see and hear in mainstream media? Worried about getting the truth? No worries anymore. Get the truth, only the truth, at TNN, the Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. Well, looking ahead, we got a lot of stuff happening this weekend. NFL playoffs are underway, and uh, we got out of the wild card round. Now we're in the division round. Interesting. There are a lot of games that uh, have been played. That that uh, Dallas Cowboy game the other night. I couldn't believe how bad both teams started off. But our boy from right here in Greater Shreveport, Bozier, quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, he turned it on. Had a great game. You never know. Football is competitive, and things can change on a dime, and they do change on a game. Kind of like life. We think we got it all mapped out, and then all of a sudden we learn what we thought it was. It ain't. And that's never a good feeling when we get off on something that's like, oh my gosh, I've been wrong all along. Well, I tell you something we haven't been wrong about ever. The FBI in the tank. Turns out yesterday we learned that Chris Ray, the director, alluded to, quote, collaboration between the private sector and the government. He was speaking, guess where? The World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. As the FBI remains mired in scandal after scandal following the Twitter files revelations and braces for aggressive congressional investigations, which have already been. He was speaking to an audience of those global elites. He touched on the Fed's work with ostensibly private technology companies during a discussion about the potential dangers of new technology. The FBI chief, he touted the significant strides the FBI in particular has made in efforts to work closely with the tech industry. Ray told the audience, I think the sophistication of the private sector is improving and particularly important, the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI has, I think, made significant strides. Pretty much every technology we could talk about today, we see both great opportunity but great, great dangers in the wrong hands. Now, if Director A had stopped right there, that would have been a pretty good say-so, a pretty good attaboy to throw out there to all those filthy, rich, undescribably powerful people sitting there listening to him. But he kept going. Ray and what he said comes in the middle of a flurry of reporting on how his agency has been directing censorship practices at Twitter and other social media companies, particularly regarding the dissemination of that now infamous New York Post reporting on Biden family corruption based on Hunter's infamous laptop from hell. That all broke just ahead of the 2020 election. Emails show Elon Musk reported by journalist Michael Schellenberger last month, showed that the censorship on Twitter of the Post reporting on the Biden family business was an operation led by the FBI in conjunction with Twitter. 
And you know what? I, we all know about this. We've heard this now, and it shocked us at first, and now it's, it's, I, I've just gotten numb to it. I thought it was happening. Now it's been confirmed it's been happening. So it's no longer a big deal, right? No, it's not right. It's absolutely a big deal. What those people in Davos heard yesterday was Christopher Ray basically say, yeah, that's what we do. We partnered with Twitter. We went out there and we spotted some bad seed that we told them were bad seed so that the bad seed wouldn't get in their social media outlets and destroy what they were trying to do. You know, it's sad for the FBI director to say that to this crowd. But it's even sadder that people out in the crowd said it. Attaboy! So the revelation came about Twitter after Facebook, now known as Meta, the CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, over the summer told Joe Rogan the FBI was warning Facebook of propaganda ahead of the 2020 election, urging Facebook to be vigilant to censor. The FBI, I think, basically came to us, some folks on our team, and was like, hey, um, just so you know, like, you should be on high alert. There was the, we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. What an evil web they weave. And what's even more evil You know, we opened the show talking about that connectiveness. We're not connected at all. Anything out there like this that happens, there's a million different versions of it. Instead of just throwing the facts out there and letting everybody gnaw on the bones coming from the same trough, we don't do that anymore. We have to paint them. We turn them over to media sycophants who all have one particular political perspective, whatever that is, and so they take every story they're going to present to the American people as being factual, and they'll bend it, they'll tie it up in knots, whatever they want it to look and sound like. They're going to do anything and everything that it takes to get to that. Why? Because they want ratings. That gives them a lot of extra sponsorship dollars. And that turns into more dollars for them. Follow the money. It's out there. It's not getting any better. And it won't until the bad leadership is obliterated. So now the White House is refusing to negotiate with Republicans on raising the debt ceiling, which is a pretty risky position that Democrats think is a political winner but that also reflects their scars from previous fights. Taking this position this year, that you won't negotiate, it's going to allow Republicans to argue their refusal to discuss spending cuts amid a rising debt crisis means President Biden is not acting in the public's interest. But White House officials, of course, and Democrats believe they have much more leverage 
if they don't negotiate. Here's what's behind this strategy. There's a precedent. Think back. One major reason the White House is confident in its position is that there have been numerous clean debt ceiling hikes in recent years, including when Donald Trump was president, Republicans controlled Congress, the House and the Senate. Congress has voted to increase the debt limit more than a dozen times in the last 25 years, including three times during the Trump administration. Right after Biden took office, Senate Republicans initially balked at support for a clean increase of the debt ceiling. But after months of talks, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer eventually brokered a deal where enough Republicans joined Democrats to approve a one-time exemption to the filibuster on raising the debt ceiling. No Republicans backed the actual vote to raise the limit, and it passed 50 to 49. When I saw this happen yesterday, the first thing that went in my mind was, what about the facts coming out? (laughs) What about the facts coming out? Did we get them? And obviously, we didn't. The House, which was controlled by Democrats then, also passed the debt ceiling high. The Biden administration, they've argued that a new debt ceiling increase covers bills that the government has already racked up, does not cover new spending. It does not cover new spending. Did you get that? It did not cover our expenses today. McConnell, on his part, downplayed the possibility of a crisis yesterday. No, I would not be concerned about a financial crisis. He told a gaggle of reporters after an event at the University of Louisville talking about disaster relief funding. In the end, McConnell said, I think the important thing to remember is that America must never default on its debt. It never has, and it never will, he said will end up in some kind of negotiation with the administration over what the circumstances or conditions under which the debt ceiling be raised. That's supposed to happen. It's supposed to happen weeks ago, if not months ago, behind closed doors, crafting the measure that you not only can sell to the other side of the aisle, but will do what needs to be done to protect our country. That brings up the name Barack Obama. Then President Obama, he negotiated with House Republicans over raising the debt ceiling, cutting spending back in 2011. Many Dems rule those talks, which took place when Biden was vice president. An initial deal fell apart after the House Speaker, John Boehner's office, right flank rejected any tax hikes that would have been coupled with reforms to Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. It was those reforms or cuts that infuriated Obama's liberal base. The White House and Congress, then they agreed 
to the Budget Reduction Act, in which spending ceilings were imposed on defense and non-defense spending in order to get a deal on raising that debt limit. The lesson many Dems took from the plainful era of automatic outs and cuts all in sequestration. sequestration. Good grief. Is that negotiating with Republicans over raising the debt ceiling? It's a fool's errand. Biden as VP had a front row seat to the chaotic negotiations, as did some of his staffers who serve in the White House today. The takeaway for many of those officials was that offering concessions will only embolden some conservatives who want to hold a debt ceiling ransom in exchange for drastic cuts. It's much better from their viewpoint, they say, to just demand that the GOP raise the debt ceiling, as has been done in the past. Jim Kessler, co-founder of centrist think tank Third Way, said the White House's strategy to insist Republicans move on this is a smart one, warning that House Republicans may have bad intentions when it comes to negotiating. The more Dems can show what either a default means or the spending cuts would mean, the less support Republicans are going to have, which is why I think, this is Jim talking, this is a smart, a smart move to make. Coming together, finding commonality, working together for the common good. Everybody in Congress used to do that every day. How much of that do you think is going on right now? Of the 535 people that serve in Congress, I guarantee you, two of them can look across the House chamber and look at each other, and immediately, I don't care who it is, ugly thoughts are going to flood your mind simply because that is the way the king of divisiveness likes it to be. And it must remain that way so that this divisiveness will not simply just destroy us. It'll hurt us. Yeah, it's going to hurt us. But it won't kick us out into the water where we'll drown. Maybe we take a little more time. Maybe when we're discussing bills, uh, we discuss the bills, what's in them, what they're for, and not what we can attach to them so that we can get some money for so-and-so and this cause and this building operation. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the, the Truth, Truth News, News Network. Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman.
DesMoinesHelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month, the one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Does it bother you at all as you watch our government quote-unquote working? Does it bother you they're getting very little, if anything, done, but they get a lot of stuff going on, but they don't get anything finished? What are they doing? Think about that. There's no bill on the floor of the House of Representatives right now. There's not anything out there. Oh, they talk about stuff all the time, but they just keep moving it around. It's like, I'll never forget when our kids were young. One of, our, one of our girls, I forget which one it was, she just didn't like to eat food, especially breakfast food. And so she would take her scrambled eggs and she would mix in some of the other stuff, the bacon or the toast or whatever, mix it in and push it around and made it look like, hey, she's eating. She's taking care of it but she was just moving it around. Nothing ever got done. When breakfast was over, mom just had to dump all that stuff down the kitchen sink. That's kind of what is happening today in Washington, D.C., pushing all kind of things around. Very few people in the House or the Senate or the White House will go straight for the juggler vein and say, here it is, here's what must be the outcome How are we going to get there? And then they sit down and work together. You know people that have issues in their life and they ignore them and just let them live alone somewhere out in the woods? (laughs) Whatever that bad thing is, travesty is, it's like if they don't have it in front of their faces, it's like it doesn't exist. So they're better with that than having to deal with it. That's part of what's going on. Let me give you an example. I'm going to let you listen to somebody. The CEO of Pfizer Corporation. Now, we're talking about a big stud. We're talking about one of the biggest pharma companies on the planet. And they are infamous for what they did during our pandemic, the development and distribution of their vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine. Here we are three years into this, and today it's still unknown, the efficacy of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. It probably won't surprise you that uh, this CEO was in Davos, 
and he got pounded by people wanting to know about his vaxes, what is going on because of his vaxes, and what can be done. There are actual journalists. I, this is so spectacular. This is so absolutely spectacular. Uh, Rebel News, which is up in Canada, it's one of the non-state-funded journalist outfits, and I can actually say journalists without going like this, up in Canada. They do great, great work. Ezra Levant, who has been on the show many times, and he's a friend of mine and a great guy, he is out there with the team in Davos on the ground asking these guys questions. Here's Avi Yemeni, who's one of the guys at Rebel, uh, basically hunting down Borla. And watch journalism in action. This is journalism completely uh, against what we just saw with that Bloomberg hack. Mr. Borla, can I ask you, when did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission? How long did you know that without saying it publicly? Thank you very much. I'm sorry. To that question. I mean, we, we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission, but why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%. But we now know that the vaccines do not trans stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission? Is it time to apologize to the world, sir, to give refunds back to the countries that poured all their money into your vaccine that doesn't work, your ineffective vaccine? Are you not ashamed of what you've done in the last couple of years? Do you have any apologies to the public, sir? Those are great people right there. So I want to give credit to Ezra Levant, of course, who was asking the initial questions, and that's Avi Yemeni who's doing the follow-up there. You know what's so interesting too? So this Borla guy can go on these ridiculous corporate press things and just spread more nonsense. And he has these, these fake hack journalists who sit there and don't acknowledge anything bad that happened, but oh, oh but you can do more and we can give you more of our attention and, and, and money and, pay, and all of that stuff and are and our, literally our bodies. If Borla believed in anything he has sold to us in these last three years, why wouldn't he have just stopped for one second? Like if you, if you created a product, a vaccine that is working, that is doing anything remotely close to what you said, why wouldn't he have just stopped for one second and said, uh, thanks for the question, Ezra, that's actually pretty easy. Uh, the efficacy is this. Uh, it was a little bit off, perhaps what we thought it was gonna be, but, but he can't, he can't. So that's actual journalism. So how does that play into this conversation? What would have happened at the beginning of this? You remember when Dr. Anthony Fauci, when this all first began to happen, and he was up at the White House in a press briefing every day about COVID-19. On the stage, President Trump there, other doctors were there, giving us quote-unquote facts. At least we thought we were getting facts. Come to find out. We weren't getting facts. We were getting opinion. And also not just opinion, but opinion that is jaded with something else in mind. Of course, you just heard the CEO of Pfizer, Borland, being confronted by a couple of media guys asking the right questions, asking the questions which should have been asked on day one of our pandemic. But they weren't asked. Why weren't they asked? That process of bringing people together for the express purpose of having conversations and getting facts in the conversation and making that the absolute necessary building blocks. 
If you're ever going to get anywhere, you've got to find the facts. You've got to find the truth and talk about the truth. None of what you just heard would have ever happened. Why? Because that Pfizer vaccine would not have been allowed to be used in the general public until it had gone through the exhaustive control laboratory investigations that have always happened before any vaccine gets to the market. Same thing holds true for Moderna, Johnson & Johnson. But because those elites, that 0.001%, the ones that are enlightened, they have power, they have money, they determined that they were going to shove these vaccines into the arms of billions of people on the planet. And nothing was going to stop them from doing it. The truth, meaningless. We'll just blow right through that. All that matters is getting something happening. They're desperate, are these people. They want to get vaccinated, and they're willing to roll the dice and take the chance with their lives to do it. Poor leadership through that entire period is one of the greatest atrocities that has happened in my lifetime in the United States. 79 years. Worse than JFK and who really killed him. Worse than a lot of things, big things that have happened through the years in our government and to the American people. The fundamental pieces are just melting away. Democracy, republic, truth. All of that's going by the wayside. And we the people haven't been getting together, communicating, entering into community with other Americans. Haven't adopted that old mantra, iron sharpens iron. We're just walking around in our own world. We're in a cocoon. Everything's okay. We're just going to roll with it, fly by the seat of our pants and believe everybody else is going to do the same thing. We may get there. Wherever there is, we may not, though. We don't know today. And we should know for a fact where we're going and what it takes to get there. And we should be setting those blocks in place. Should have a long time ago. Walking in concert with people who have conversed, have negotiated, maybe screamed and hollered at each other, but they've done it in love trying to reach a consensus. Up at the White House, frustration is growing every day. White House correspondents, the correspondents, they try to get answers from White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre. She continues to deflect and obfuscate over questions about Joe Biden's handling of those classified documents. The White House Press Corps is incredibly frustrated with Jean-Pierre for her refusal to answer any questions about this issue at the briefing room. That's one White House reporter saying that. It's very insulting to reporters, especially when she repeatedly says her answers 
She has a question she's answered when she very clearly has not. But overall, it's clear the White House is challenging the fundamental purpose of the briefing room, which is why reporters continue to be aggressive. The president's personal attorneys found classified documents that were improperly stored at the president's old office at the Penn Biden Center, which was reported in the media months after the White House became aware. Additional news reports days later revealed that more documents were discovered at the president's personal home in Wilmington, Delaware. White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich said Wednesday, reporters were being referred to as a black hole while seeking answers from the White House, the White House Counsel, and the Department of Justice. It's frustrating to the press here at the White House. We formally asked for the press secretary to bring to the briefing room the attorneys for the president so that we can ask people these questions, the very people that we're being directed to and where we're getting our questions ignored or unanswered or referred elsewhere. And she said when posed that question right there in the briefing room, she said, well, you'll have to ask them. Heinrich said that to Neil Cavuto. Them. Them. Ask them about it. Pass the buck. Jean-Pierre has claimed she's been forthcoming about the classified documents that are continuously referenced in her daily briefings. She doesn't tell the truth. She's not researched what she speaks. She's actually reading it. It's coming out of that loose-leaf notebook that she keeps on the podium in front of her. Somebody has written what she's supposed to say, and she's just simply being a puppet. There's no community. There's no building of confidence among all these people. That should have happened a long time ago. We're way down the road from that. And it's creating total pandemonium. While we're on the topic about the classified documents, every day, President Biden gets up and he says something, and when he does, he just doubles and triples down on stupid. He should just keep his mouth shut. Yesterday, he said he has no regrets about his decisions not to inform the general public about the first batch of classical documents classified at his former office ahead of the midterms. They had them. They knew it was going on weeks before the election. They didn't bother to tell any of us. Now, what could have happened? What might have happened? There could be a bunch of people out there that change their votes. We'll never know. Biden made comments about no regrets at a press conference in California yesterday. He's been assessing the damages caused by deadly storms out there. The Democrats were persistently questioned by reporters regarding the discovery of more classified documents, more official records at his former office in D.C. and his home in Delaware. At one point, the president appeared to become frustrated when asked if he has any great regrets about the classified materials. You know, 
What quite frankly bugs me, he said, is that we have a serious problem here we're talking about. We're talking about what's going on, and the American people don't quite understand why you don't ask me questions about that. He then went on to explain the administration's actions after discovering the classified materials, adding that he has no regrets about choosing not to reveal the existence of the documents back in November before the midterm elections. What is that telling you? You know what it tells me? Top to bottom, the way they're treating this thing, the way they're writing it for people to see and read about in 10 years has no attachment to exactly what's happening and what's really causing it to happen. That should be the question that pops up in every American's mind and every American that thinks that should go on the phone, in person, on your computer, write to your member of Congress and demand that they come stand in front of the people. Well, they're not scheduled to be back until, you know, later on, Dan. Change your schedules then. This is more important than whatever you're going to do back home, campaign or whatever you're going to do. Taking vacation. I'd love to be taking a beach vacation right now. Love the beach. Love to go there. Love to hear the waves squish the sand between my toes and sit or lay somewhere with a book in the sun and go to sleep. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That wave thing at the beach, that's kind of the panacea for me. I don't care what's going on in my life, how bad it is. I can always go to the beach, and I like to go where the beaches are bleached white. That would be uh, Northwest Florida, down in the Caribbean, even on Mexico's west coast. I just like I just like the beach. Now, you know when anybody comes up with something new, some new gadget, some new idea, and they put it out there in the marketplace and the marketplace picks it up and people start buying it, people start sharing it. If it's got some sense attached to it and usability attached to it, it's going to take off. We all remember, and we can tell story after story about these people that become millionaires overnight just because of an idea that they had and they just happen to start something at the right time and it just explodes in their credit and their favor. This critical race theory thing, I mean, it is a ticking bomb that is not going to take root in America. What it is going to do is land on dirt, and it's going to destroy a bunch of Americans. A Georgia teaching activist, has now been placed on administrative leave after admitting that he illegally smuggled critical race theory into schools and kindergartens. 
Dr. Quentin Bostick was busted bragging to an undercover agent from Project Veritas about how he had implemented the curriculum into two school districts in the state. He brazenly told how he passed it off as diversity, equity, and inclusion lessons when the classes were actually packed full of those banned topics. The content manager at Teaching Lab, a nonprofit pushing educational equity, said if he was caught, officials would find prohibited books and theories throughout his work and admitted it was illegal. Critical race theory was banned in Georgia back in April after state legislators decided it was teaching divisive academic concepts about racism. Bostick also took a shot at Republican Governor Brian Kemp, who he branded an idiot, and his wife, a former teacher, who would roll him if she found out. The teaching activist sat down with an undercover Project Veritas reporter in what appeared to be bars and restaurants. The clip starts as he says, if you don't say the word critical race theory, you can technically teach it. The journalist says, and it's amazing to go to schools to purchase the curriculum. The Bostic interrupts him and says, and says, and they don't even know what's going on. He continues, I would say I'm a good salesman, but I'm also an evil salesman, like so bad. Bostic admits the state has been paying for the curriculum without even knowing what it is or what's in it. That's the absence of community, coordination, democratic trust in the process of democracy. And our kids are paying the price while these people the purveyors of critical race theory are selling their goods and making hundreds of millions of dollars off the American taxpayers for critical race theory. If you're with us Tuesday, you heard Steve Baker and I talk about it. It's unsustainable, the wokeism, the critical race theory, the 1619 Project, trying to put history in a little circle and put your hands around it and say, I control it totally. I control what it is. I control what happened in it. And nobody can counter what I say it is. That's what critical race theory is. It's trying to use wokeism to demean anybody and everybody into submission to the purveyors of whatever the purvey of the day happens to be. Right now, critical race theory, wokeism, two of the big ones. How's the United States handling all that? (laughs) Not real well. We have this thing where if something hits us in the face, typically we just look at it and try to push it to the side so that we don't have to do it. We're certainly not going to let it confront us. Oh, no, we're not going down that road. We're going to stay right where we are, and that thing's got to change. 
We're not going to do anything. It's got to change. And then when things don't change, what do we do? We get in another quagmire, and somebody in the quagmire is begging for somebody that's not to pull them out, to pull them to safety and ring around that pit where everybody has fallen into or a bunch of Democrats with arms crossed and they're saying, we told you so. When in fact, they're the ones that were told that did nothing about it. Wow. Well, gosh, we're almost down to a half hour. We haven't even touched 50%, close to 50% of content. We're going to take a short break back after this. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. Look, we know that boy's going to ask again, so let's be ready. Fine, I'll be him. You ready? Ready. Mom, could you hook me up with a GoPhone? You'll run up the bill, son. Yo, that's whack, Moms. GoPhone is totally different. What? It'll only cost me an arm? Chillax. It has unlimited talk and text. Seriously? Word. Okay, we'll get a GoPhone. Really? Uh, really? That is the bomb. Do you even know what the bomb means? Yes. No. Hey! GoPhone, only from AT&T. With unlimited talk to 65 million wireless AT&T customers and now unlimited text to anyone on any network. AT&T, your world delivered. I'm Papa John, pizza maker. The quality of every ingredient is important to me. Like the sweet, juicy pineapple and pulled ham hock that refreshes a pizza classic. Introducing our new premium Hawaiian, another Papa John's original. Like all our pizzas, it comes with Papa's quality guarantee. Try something new with a third off your order. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. Howdy, the streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. It's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. Those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. Well, that's a Disney bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney bundle. It's streaming at its best. Equals Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit thedisneybundle.com for details. Not just political, not just lifestyle, but always relevant. See and hear it first at truthnewsnet.org. Let me ask you a question, and you be honest with your answer. I don't care what it is. I can't hear you uh, unless you want to send it in an email or a text. I won't know for a fact, but let me ask you this. Did you try, or maybe you're in it right now, wokeism? Are you woke? Have you tried to be woke? Have you tried to fit into that thing? Well, I got to be honest with you. Wokeism, and I, I don't want to burst your bubble, But wokeism is nothing but a lie. It's a power tool that those people want to control us with, forcing anybody 
to fit into their mold as they describe it and design it. And if you don't, if you don't listen to them, if you don't do what the instructions say to do, you ain't woke. Well, yesterday, we got a lesson about wokeness from a really surprising source, a comedian, a comedian. He came out of nowhere. Listen to this. The only thing that wokeness has to offer in exchange is to brainwash bright young minds like you to believe that you are victims, to believe that you have no agency, to believe that what you must do to improve the world is to complain, is to protest. We know that the way to improve the world is to work, is to create, it is to build. That speech there on anti-wokeness, bringing down the house of the Oxford Union, went viral as well. That man's name is Constantine Kissin, he extended those thoughts last night with Tucker. This ideology, wokeness, is fundamentally anti-human. And the narrative goes something like this, you know, we are evil, particularly Westerners, especially, you know, straight white men like you, but actually all of us are evil and we must be punished. I think actually we've got to believe that young people are persuadable. We've got to make rational arguments to them. Uh, and that is, I think, the way uh, to, to deal with many of these problems. We've got to challenge young people to step up and be better. Bringing Michael Schellenberger, president of Environment Progress and the author of a book called Apocalypse Never. Michael, nice to see you. Good morning. Um, so he's arguing you have to fight back with your own logic and your own reasoning because when you're young, you think you've got it all figured out. What do you think of his argument? Well, it's a brilliant speech, and I've been following his work for a long time, and he's absolutely correct. We're in a crisis of civilization that's fundamentally driven by victimhood ideology, which has been rebranded wokeness. It was supposed to be about being sensitive, but sometimes, as we know, things become their opposite, and wokeism and victim ideology has become very bullying. We certainly saw it over the last couple of years, people being bullied people being physically harmed because of their ideology or because of, of who they were. And so to see him speaking up like that and getting the positive reception, I think it shows that we've reached peak wokeness and hopefully are looking at the beginning of the end. Well, I mean, that whole scene in Oxford just, it, it looks classic, uh, right down to the bow tie. Meanwhile, Al Gore was in Europe. He's at Davos, and uh, he had a lot to say about the woes of the world, Michael. Listen to this clip from yesterday. If you could drive a car straight up in the air at interstate highway speeds, you'd get to the top of that blue line in five minutes. And all the greenhouse gas pollution would be below you. That's what's boiling the oceans, melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. Uh, listen, if you listen to his comments, it's, probably, it's quite clear that every woe in the world he blames on climate change. It all comes back to that, Michael. Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to convince people that Davos is not a cult, then I think the last thing you should do is put up a screaming Al Gore to blame every single weather pattern on climate change. There's no science for much of what he's saying there. We've actually seen greenhouse gas emissions were flat over the last decade thanks to this transition from coal to natural gas. He never talks about how U.S. carbon emissions decline more than in any other country in the world, thanks to abundant natural gas. 
nor does he mention that his investment fund manages Davos's money. It's a Swiss organization. They're able to engage in a level of secrecy that my co-author Isabel Kaminska and I revealed earlier this week in a piece where we, call, we pointed out that Davos is a grift wrapped in a cult wrapped in an enigma, but they, they surround themselves with this idea that they're very mysterious, very spiritual, but they're a bunch of dogmatic, apocalyptic, Malthusian, pro-scarcity, frankly, very anti-human people engaged in quite authoritarian exercise to try to control the global energy economy, how we produce food. All of mm. the conspiracy theories that they claimed were conspiracy mm. theories turned out to be true. They really do want people to move from eating meat to eating bugs, and they want us all to li live a, a poor, low-energy life. He was preaching the choir there in Davos. Um, that fusion energy breakthrough in California a month ago, keep an eye on that. Someday they will look back at windmills and solar panels and think how primitive our efforts were. Um, but that's to be determined in the future, sometime perhaps very soon. Michael, thanks. Nice to see you in California. Thanks for getting up. Michael Schellenberger, thank you. Thank you. A little twist on that philosophy about, you know, you got to stop eating meat, you got to be a vegetarian. Well, you know, cows, they even blame cows for their farts, for hurting the atmosphere. And so we've just got to stop raising cattle. What are we going to do? What are we going to eat? Well, eat vegetables. Well, cows eat grass, they eat vegetation. And they fart. So if we eat cows, we're going to fart because of what they eat? Well, if we stop eating cows and we eat the same things cow eats, what's going to happen? I mean, you can go down these rabbit trails about climate change over and over and over. Let me tell you, Al Gore is not about fixing the environment. That's a tool that Al Gore is using, along with a bunch of other talking heads that figured out, you know what, if enough of us get together, we can move the entire world to believe us and to do things that we tell them to do. We want to be the enlightened ones. We want to be the power brokers. And we want everybody to come to us when they want anything. And we, of course, we have the ability to tell them you can or you can't do those things. Why? Because I said so. It's literally that bad. Let's move on to another t topic. One of my favorite music groups of all times, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. A great group from the late 60s, early 70s. That was in the uh, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants era where drugs, illegal drugs, were rampant and everywhere, and those four guys, they were up to their eyeballs in it. Well, one of the big ones in the group, Dave Crosby, he died yesterday. And it comes out this morning that David Crosby cracked a joke about heaven the day before he died. Early Wednesday morning, the Birds and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young co-founder, took to Twitter, and he joked on Twitter saying, heaven is overrated. He said, I heard the place is overrated. Cloudy, his tweet read in response to a screenshot of a Google search that asked, 
can we go to heaven with tattoos? And the result of the search read, people with tattoos will not go to heaven. People who drink alcohol will not go to heaven. People who eat too much pork will also not go to heaven. Short people will not go to heaven. Kind of an extreme thing there, right? Well, also Wednesday, Crosby responded to a tweet that asked what the best Beatles song was for a rainy day. And he replied, Rigby. Of course, he's talking about Eleanor Rigby. After the news of the 81-year-old's death, some of his fellow bandmates shared statements. The statement by Crosby, Stills, and Nash member Graham Nash read, It's with profound sadness I learned that my friend Dave Crosby has passed. I know people tend to focus on how volatile our relationship has been at times, but what has always mattered to David and me more than anything was the pure joy of the music we created together, the sound we discovered with one another, and the deep friendship we shared over all these many long years. Graham Nash's statement continued, David was fearless in life and in music. He leaves behind a tremendous void as far as sheer personality and talent in this world. He spoke his mind, his heart, and his passion through his beautiful music leaves an incredible legacy. These are the things that matter most. My heart is truly with his wife, Jan, his son, Django, and all of the people he's touched in the world. Stephen Stills, almost the exact same thing. His wife of 36 years, Jan Dance, first shared a statement with Variety announcing the death of her husband. It's with great sadness after a long illness that our beloved David Crosby has passed away. He was lovingly surrounded by his wife and soulmate Jan and son Django. Although he's no longer here with us, his humanity and kind soul will continue to guide and inspire us. His legacy will continue to live on through his legendary music. Peace, love, and harmony to all who knew David and those he touched. We will miss him dearly. He was a great musician, there's no question about it, but he was always mired in controversy. Why? Because he always expressed his, his uh, perspective on anything and everything, even when people didn't give a rip and didn't want him to share his thoughts on everything. He, he lived in a vacuum. There weren't a lot of people that he got along with. People in the band, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, several of them hated him. They had wars all those years. It's kind of like the Beatles. Everybody always said, Paul and John, they were at each other's throats all the time. I don't think they were. But it sounds like, you know, it's a cool thing to talk about. These big number one writers and singers, multimillionaires from music, playing music, recording music that we all love. Anyway, Dave Crosby, he's history. Now let me switch gears here. I'm going to switch to something we've labeled the great dropout. The great dropout, what might that be? Over a million kids left public schools in 2020. Over a million, a migration 
that came on the hills of school lockdowns, masking requirements, and was hastened by the increased parental dissatisfaction with K-12 education. Enrollment across the nation in public schools declined by 1.4 million between the fall of 2019 and the fall of 2020, dipping to 49.4 million, a loss of nearly 3%. Now, this is coming from the National Center for Education Statistics. This decline may be closer to 2 million, according to a report by Education Next, showing that traditional public school enrollment as a percentage of all school enrollment, declined sharply between 2020 and 2022. Enrollment in traditional public schools fell from 81 to 76.5% of total enrollment during that time period, while enrollment in public charter schools, private schools, and homeschooling grew by a combined 4.5%. These numbers show that nearly 2 million students left traditional public schools and they left for other educational options over the previous three years. Many of these cases, the disruption in learning due to COVID-19 policies was the catalyst that many of these parents needed to make the jump away from public schools to charter schools, private schools, and homeschooling. Based on recent enrollment numbers and the comfort many parents expressed with their decision to opt out of public schools, it appears the missing millions are not going to return. Parent satisfaction with K-12 education plunged. That's according to Gallup. Prior to the onset of COVID, 51% of parents said they were either completely are somewhat satisfied with their kids' education. Three years later, the satisfaction level dropped to 42%, the lowest in over 20 years. You know, there's no need to even keep going through the numbers. We all knew that. Now, let me ask you this. Again, I'll reference back to the story we talked about at the top of the show. What's going to be done about it? What is the community going to do about it? The community is not these uh, lobbying groups, these teachers' unions. That's not the answer. Those people run on dollars and cents. That's all it is to them. And they do anything and everything necessary to funnel money from parents to them. What's the number one enemy they have right now? School choice. School choice, my friends, works. How does school choice work? Well, it's based upon this. Every American, every American family pays taxes. Even if we don't, if we have a zero income tax liability at the end of the year, we buy stuff, we pay taxes. And in every state, all 50 states, a percentage of sales tax goes to the public school systems in that state. What happens to that money? It goes to the Department of Education in each of those states. They use that to educate our kids. They use that to put up the structure of what is necessary to maintain the good, honest, successful teaching 
the whole education process in each state. We know, we know exactly what our states are paying per student in our public schools. We know that. So what if parents aren't enamored with their education process in their school districts in that particular school and they want to make a change? Well, you can't change if the school districts don't allow it where you live in public school. You may can leave and go to another city, go move there or whatever, or you can go to private school, but you don't have any choice when it comes to public school. So what do I want to do as a parent? Well, I'm paying in. You can do the numbers. You know exactly how many students are enrolled in public education in the state. You know exactly how much money that comes in that you're spending on those students. I want a voucher. I want you to give me a voucher for X dollars, which is the amount that you're paying right now for my kid to go to school and I'm going to put my kid in the school I want him or her to be in. And, of course, those on the opposite side of that, which are these big school unions, they go nuts about it. You'll destroy the public education system. No, let me tell you what will happen. It's happening in several places already that have adopted this. What happens is everybody begins to clean up their act. Everybody that wants to survive in education, they clean up their act. They figure out what it's going to take to get them in the position where these parents with these vouchers want to bring their kids to them to teach, thinking and feeling and knowing that where they're going with their kids is the best place they can go for their kids. That, my friends, is called capitalism. Supply and demand. Create the product that the people want and then give it to the people to make a decision about coming and getting it from you instead of getting it from over there. Now, in these vouchers, these voucher systems, they can take that voucher. They don't have to go to private schools and check in at private schools, enroll at private schools. They can go to other public schools. It's the parents' choice. And parents, I will tell you, they want their kids to go to the best possible schools that they can. And if they have the money that they've paid in in taxes to use that would normally be going straight to the public school systems, they can use it themselves they may take their kids back to public school. I guarantee you that's not happening very often here. You know where they're taking their kids? To the place that these parents think is the best place for their kids to learn. After all, isn't that what we do? Isn't that what schools are supposed to do? Take care of the kids. Educate our kids. Give them the best possible education that we can. We owe our kids absolutely nothing less than that. Well, we haven't talked today about DocuGate. 
Why don't we take our final break? When we come back, you're going to hear from Victor Davis Hanson, one of my favorite spokesmen, and he weighs in on the Biden misuse, mishandling of classified documents. And we've got more stuff we're going to talk about in that classified document, DocuGate. Wow. It's not over. And it keeps growing. It keeps getting bigger. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Unforgettable. That's what you are. Leo Dutton perfume, like the memory of a beautiful song, lingers on and on. Leo Dutton perfume, the classic French fragrance that you can wear anywhere, anytime, makes you unforgettable perfume by Nina Ricci. No way. Taco Bell's toasted cheddar chalupa is back. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? They, they toasted, toasted six-month-old six cheddar right onto the shell of a chalupa. That's genius, no delicious, no both. And now it comes in a box with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink. Whoa. Oh, sorry, this is this is my stop. Oh, uh, cool. We're all thinking it. The $5 toasted cheddar chalupa box is back. Only at Taco Bell. At limited participating U.S. locations for a limited time only. Contact local store for prices, hours, and participation, which vary. Tax extra drinks excludes freezes. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell & Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them. Someone they can trust. Someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell & Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men. Before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell & Cordell. A partner men can count. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. So what's going on in DocuGate? Let me just say this. It's all over the place. There's no question about it. President Biden misused misused classified documents. And it's not something that just happened. A picture came up yesterday. You probably saw it where he's standing in a public room. I couldn't tell if it's the White House or somewhere else. And he's holding in his hand pressed against his stomach a folder, and on the outside of the folder, it says Top Secret Classified. Obviously, somebody in public took the picture. Somebody in public was in the room. We have no idea who it was, but the president's standing there with classified documents in his hand. Now, listen, I don't have any idea why President Biden did what he did regarding the classified documents in his purview. I don't know what he did exactly. I don't know why, but he broke the rules. In fact, he broke the law. 
Now, if you compare the whole process of DocuGate, Biden's DocuGate, with the Mar-a-Lago incident with President Trump, they are way different. Now, people on the left, they want to find some way to give President Biden a pass. Donald Trump, Uh uh-uh. No, 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 no. He's the evil guy. We saw all those documents spread out across the floor, classified documents. He can't do that. Well, it was the FBI. They took the documents out and spread them on the floor and took the picture. Understand this. Keeping classified documents, keeping them safe, that was nothing that Donald Trump did wrong. He took them. He took care of them. They were in a specific location. He knew exactly what was there. People in his administration that were supposed to know knew they were there. They were behind lock and key, and the National Archives knew what they had and were there. The difference, the problem with the National Archives that ended up with a subpoena for all those documents from the Department of Justice is National Archives disagrees with the Trump organization about what's classified and what isn't classified. Joe Biden, on the other hand, he had classified documents all over the place. They were everywhere. And I promise you, we still don't know what's out there. Victor Davis Hanson, who I love, Stanford, he's a think tank guy. He's brilliant. He weighed in on Biden's DocuGate. Victor Davis Hanson's a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution and a National Review Institute fellow. VDH, whoa, where there's smoke, where there's fire. What do you think? Well, they haven't been transparent in the past. They're not transparent now, which means they feel they can't afford to be transparent in the future. So there's two issues as I see it. One is that for seven years, people have basically assumed the Biden family had been compromised through Ukraine and China, to take two examples. But that story died because of the political nature of the campaign and his presidency. But this this is a link, and it threatens to blow it up, especially when you have a special counsel investigating Hunter Biden. And that introduces the second. How would it blow up? Well, when Donald Trump's papers were uh, sort of a, caused a feeding frenzy among the media, there were two questions. Remember, what was the nature of the classified material, and why did Donald Trump have it? And before he could even explain, they said they were nuclear codes, or he was in league with Putin, or he was going to sell it. But... The point is, they need to ask those questions of Joe Biden. Why did you have classified information about Ukraine and China? And that would require a special prosecutor to look at it and look at the contents. And what what was the material on there that you felt was advantageous to you, that you brought it out of a secure location? In fact, were very indiscriminate in its usage. And There's going to be all sorts of speculation, Jesse. They're going to say, were you studying about what the Chinese and Ukraine thought about you? Did you have intelligence on those classified informations? What they were, you know, apprising the Biden family? Or, contrarily, did that give you some insight about the nature of the Chinese government? And was that that enhance 
uh, some of the things that you and your son were doing. So those questions go beyond the purview of just finding out who took them and when and why we didn't know. And that might introduce, I think, an expansion of the, the special counsel. And it might even dovetail with the one working on, right now on Hunter Biden's machination. So it was interesting during the Trump special counsel situation, he submitted uh, questions and answers in writing to the special counsel. Um, I have a feeling Biden's going to do the same thing. I don't see Joe Biden just sitting down with the special counsel over coffee and just winging it. This thing's going to be very tightly scripted. And I don't know. I don't see it ending in an indictment or anything, but I could be wrong. Also, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, you might be right. But it is the two areas that the Biden family had specialized in were Ukraine and China. And it is odd that these those two areas were the, were the topics, apparently, of these classified information. But, uh, or they could hang this knows? thing over the president's head so he bows out and doesn't run for re-election. Because if you pull a little bit on this thread, the whole thing blows up. VDH, great to have you. Thank you. I want to concentrate on the last part that Jesse said as he finished this interview. Because if you pull a little bit on this thread, the whole thing blows up. VDH. Great to have you. Thank you. And Joe Biden won't run for president again. That's what Jesse was intimating there. So who's going to be on the Democrat Party ticket? I want to end the show today by bringing you who I'm positive is going to be that candidate. They may get Barack Obama for a third term yet. But it just won't be Barack's. The Democrat Party's secret weapon is the former first lady, still surprisingly popular, and a relative silence in media of late may be a strategy for the Democrats getting ready for 2024. While Republicans fight about Trump versus DeSantis, Democrats fight about whether Biden deserves a second term, Michelle Obama quietly bides her time. She's been very diplomatic in her endorsements of the person who arguably would be her chief political rival, Joe Biden. In an interview in November, Obama raised eyebrows when she said Biden was doing a great job. While Kamala, the country's first black female vice president, may have checked the left's box of diversity, She faces a strong likability problem. Michelle, she doesn't have that problem. So get ready, folks. I know many don't want to think about it, don't like it. I think we may be looking at another run for the White House in 2024. Michelle, this time. That's a wrap on Friday's show. You guys have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday at TNN Live. So
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 